Chapter Six of Recollections of Imperial Russia by Mariel Buchanan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Catherine, Empress, on the fifth of January, O.S. of the year seventeen sixty-two, the Empress Elizabeth died at Petersburg morbidly afraid of death and unable even to face its possibility she could not make up her mind to change her will or the line of succession and so inevitably peter of holstein that most unworthy grandson of the great reformer became in his turn emperor of all the russias as had been expected his first act was to suspend all activities of the armies in germany already in april signing a treaty of peace with frederick of prussia while his behaviour to catherine became every day more abominable he insulted her publicly called her a fool in front of the assembled court had her lodged in the furthest end of the winter palace threatened her with imprisonment and banishment and kept elizabeth Warrensoff always by his side smiling beautiful apparently resigned catherine continued to attend all ceremonies even though she was now expecting her confinement a condition that she must at all costs hide from the emperor so when her son was finally born chkurin her faithful and devoted servant set fire to his house in a suburb of the capital peter and all his suite as was expected setting off in haste to watch the conflagration it was tchkurin too who took the baby bringing it up as his nephew under the name of alexis bobrinsky on the twenty fourth of june the emperor went to arnienbum taking elizabeth warrensoff and several other ladies with him and a few days later catherine received orders to go at once to peterhof to await her husband's arrival and so slowly the golden days passed by the ninth of july approached with the story of the revolution that has been told so often in somewhat varying details though the outstanding facts still remain the same terrified by the arrest of pasek who was one of their party the conspirators saw that they must either strike at once or run the risk of all being discovered nothing had been prepared or got ready but in the pale grey dusk of the northern summer's night alexis orloff set out to drive to peterhof entering catherine's room at four in the morning he found her still fast asleep and stamping up to her bed in his heavy military boots a huge uncouth figure in the faint luminous light he announced brusquely it is time for you to get up everything is prepared to proclaim you empress sitting up her glorious hair falling round her shoulders she gazed at him a moment with startled wide-open eyes now that the moment she had been waiting for for so long had come did she shrink back afraid or did her heart beat in proud and glad anticipation the risk she was taking was immense and failure would mean certain imprisonment probably torture and death outside in the park the birds were waking calling to each other the gold of the rising sun lit up the soft blue-gray waters of the gulf of finland the laughing murmur of the fountains came in through the wide-open windows but to all catherine's hurried questions alexis only answered with his usual curt brevity pesek is arrested we must go at once he would give her no further explanation and dressing hurriedly with fingers that shook a little she at last got into the coach he had brought with him accompanied only by one of her women and the faithful chkurin the sun had risen completely when leaving the shadows of the park they came out on the dusty road between the green fields all sweet with thyme and here that characteristic of the russian temperament that never reckons or thinks ahead very nearly cost catherine the throne and her life as well for alexis in his desperate hurry had never thought of ordering a fresh relay of horses for the return journey to petersburg and exhausted by the furious speed at which they had been driven the thirty-seven vorsts twenty-five miles and having had hardly any rest the poor panting animals began to flag and at last could go no further furious and fuming with impatience alexis tried in vain to beat them on catherine wrung her hands in despair a lark soared up into the morning sky and the future of an empire hung trembling in the balance it was a peasant's cart driving slowly along the road laden probably with vegetables or flour that saved the situation the fresh horses were requisitioned and hurriedly harnessed and the peasant was left staring after the coach that hurtled away in a cloud of dust five vorsts out of petersburg grigory orlov who had begun to get anxious at this long delay 
met them in another coach and with him they drove to the Ismailovskia barracks where crowds of half-dressed soldiers hurried out to acclaim catherine they had been told that peter threatened her with death and that it was their duty to save her she smiled on them very sweetly and gave them her hand to kiss and like big children carried away by their own enthusiasm they called her little mother and swore to die for her from the Ismailovskia they went in triumph to the Semyonov barracks and of all the guard regiments only the Preobuzhinskia, where elizabeth warrensoff's brother commanded a company offered any resistance a resistance even then only momentary and almost immediately overcome next came a solemn service in the kazan cathedral and from there catherine was conducted amidst a cheering multitude to the winter palace where representatives of the senate and the synod soldiers courtiers and members of the government came to acclaim her and swear fealty so in the early sweetness of that summer morning was the princess sophia of anhalt zerbst proclaimed sole empress of russia the coup d'etat had been carried on a wave of enthusiasm by the irresponsible ardour of youth the fire and valour and tumult of a great romance and the vision of a little girl looking out across the snowbound wastes of an unknown country had been realised later that day peter entirely ignorant of what was happening in the capital decided to visit catherine at petrohof and accordingly set out from Arenienboom, accompanied as usual by elizabeth warrensoff and several other ladies arriving at the palace he found it empty was told that catherine had gone and while fuming with impatient rage he was still demanding to know her whereabouts a labourer arrived footsore and covered with dust and gave the emperor a letter from a follower in petersburg which told him of the events of the morning the little sallow pock-marked man let the crumpled letter fall from his trembling hands terror mingling with his futile passion catherine all too well he knew what cause she had to hate him he knew her energy her pride the unyielding hardness of which she was capable when old field-marshal munchen whom peter had called back from his exile in siberia finally hurried out to Arenienboom, the deposed emperor received him with tears of rage and helpless panic running down his cheeks what was he to do catherine had escaped the guards had all gone over to her she had usurped the crown his crown when he caught her he would make her pay for this she should never have another chance but she was so clever clever as a devil there was no knowing what she would do next the grim old warrior must have looked even grimmer than usual as he listened to the disjointed raving of the man who called himself a grandson of peter the great and tried in vain to instil a little energy and calmness into him when at last the deposed emperor decided to listen to the old soldier's advice and entrench himself in the fortress of kronstadt it was too late and an envoy from catherine had got there ahead of them so when late that night peter's yacht approached the island and challenged by sentries answered that the emperor was on board and wished to land the quick retort was flung back across the water there is no emperor put off or we fire terrified peter had hidden himself in the hold of the ship surrounded by the weeping women he had brought with him in vain München, hiding his contempt urged him to make for Rioel, and from there gain pomerania and place himself at the head of his holstein troops the emperor who was so little an emperor could only tearfully insist on a speedy return to his beloved palace at Arnienboom and in the dawning light of another day the yacht set back to the harbour from which she had come arrived there news was brought them that catherine at the head of all the guards was moving on peterhof and again munchen urged peter to be firm implored him to lead out his soldiers to die if need be with a sword in his hand but peter's abject terror was now beyond all control and in frenzied haste he sent one message after another to catherine imploring her mercy her leniency promising everything and anything abdicating at last in full as frederick of prussia said of him with caustic sarcasm il s'est laissé détrôner comme un enfant que l'on ne voit se coucher in the uniform of the Semyonov regiment catherine rode at the head of her troops up that same dusty road along which she had driven in frantic haste such a short time ago and 
cheering and singing the soldiers marched behind her while his golden head uncovered grigori orlov rode proudly by her side he had risked all for her sake he had raised her from a position of dependence and constant danger to one of supreme and brilliant power and they were young and they loved each other so the world that summer's morning must have seemed very beautiful and without encountering any resistance from the holstein soldiers they arrived at last in triumph peter was sent under the guard of alexis orlov and tiplov to the castle of urobcha and elizabeth Warrensoff, her short moment of power over was dispatched to moscow the history of russia abounds in mysteries that are wrapped in deepest secrecy and the death of catherine's miserable weakling of a husband is but another of those riddles that have never been solved alexis orlov tiplov or Swanovitz. it seems certain that one of these three murdered the deposed emperor but which one really performed the deed and under whose orders was he acting princess deshko in her memoirs asserts that on catherine's death paul going through her papers found a letter from alexis orlov accusing himself with abject remorse of having killed peter in a moment of drunken fury and yet according to another account it was alexis who galloping at top speed from urobcha burst into catherine's room at the winter palace to tell her that her husband was dead one story relates that Swonovitz, at the order of tiplov strangled peter while still another account affirms that the deposed emperor was given a glass of poisoned burgundy to drink certainly by most people his death was imputed to catherine's agency but frederick of prussia later on exonerated her categorically from any knowledge of the crime she learned of the fact with a despair that was not feigned he asserts and she foresaw the judgment everybody holds against her till to-day so the body of the man whom nobody had loved with the exception perhaps of elizabeth Warrensoff and his pet monkey was laid to rest his wife wept a few tears that were real or feigned wore mourning and for a short time abstained from public functions but in september already the bells of the kremlin rang out in triumphant jubilation for the coronation of the empress and the emperor who had been deposed and murdered was seemingly forgotten it is a curious fact that nearly all the pictures of catherine represent her as an elderly woman with a double chin a high white forehead rolled back powdered hair compelling arresting eyes and a certain somewhat malicious subtle smile one forgets looking at these portraits that the great empress was ever young and one inevitably thinks of her always as a rather stout old lady with a commanding presence but there is in the weapon-room of the treasury at moscow a picture of her by erickson which portrays her in military uniform her masses of brown hair tied loosely back with a wide black ribbon her slim figure in a soldier's dress sitting on her horse with proud and graceful ease her eyes alight and vivid with a radiant joy of life laughing out at one from the canvas disdainful perhaps a little holding in their depths secrets the world has never been able to read aright the semiramis of the north catherine the great or catherine le grand as voltaire called her the woman who swept her husband out of her path and annexed the throne that by rights belonged to her son the woman whose passions were a byword in europe who was never faithful who when she was sixty had lovers of twenty the empress who annexed poland who conquered the crimea who sent out her armies against the turks the persians and the swedes it is a little difficult to find her in this picture and yet this was the catherine who rode out from petersburg at the head of her troops the catherine who was crowned in the kremlin the catherine who loved grigory orlov and even at one time thought of marrying him it had often been whispered at court that the empress elizabeth had secretly married her first favourite alexis razumovsky but grigory's unpopularity caused by his arrogance and pride the attempt to murder him and the outbreak of disorders in the guards regiments caused the half-formulated project to be hurriedly given up and yet in everything but name he was practically emperor of russia for his power and authority were supreme and his wealth almost fabulous he had been made a prince and member of the council there was nothing he could not have achieved had it not been for his incredible ignorance and indolence which made him refuse to exert himself save when for the sake of an adventure he shook himself up and woke to sudden imperious and startling energy 
for nearly ten years his influence over the empress was dominant his position unassailable curt and rough and unfaithful though he often was she yet forgave him over and over again his huge figure his golden hair his beautiful face still held their sway over her the violence of his passions his very indolence perhaps making him only doubly dear to her but in those ten years catherine was finding the crown she had dreamt of somewhat cumbersome to wear and her quickly won triumph not so easy to maintain orloff was unpopular and hated by the people now and then voices were raised demanding paul as emperor there were disorders insurrections conspiracies of all kinds and in seventeen sixty four yet another grim tragedy was added to the many tragedies that make up the history of russia on the accession of elizabeth the little tsar ivan had been separated from his family and imprisoned in the fortress of schlusselburg on the ladoga lake where he was kept in closest solitude it was rumoured that once in despair at peter's total inadequacy elizabeth had ivan brought up to petersburg in order to try and make him heir to the throne but whether he was really half-witted or the legend of his being so was cunningly maintained in order to alienate all public sympathy for him it is difficult to say anyhow without naming him her successor elizabeth sent him back to schlusselburg where he was kept locked inside an iron cage in a cell with two guards always near under strict orders to kill him at the slightest sound of a disturbance if he was in truth an idiot these excessive precautions seem unnecessary but the fact that he had once been emperor was probably enough to make him a constant danger to the party in power and a figure of romance to the people who were always ready to weave a legend round an imaginary character ivan on the throne a young lieutenant named mirovitch won over the garrison of the fortress to the side of the emperor whose whole life had been one long dark shadow of imprisonment leading them on to the door of the cell and bursting it open only to find that the two guards on duty were all too ready to obey their instructions and with swords thrust through the bars of the cage had already murdered the unfortunate ivan mirovitch was promptly arrested tried and executed no words having passed his lips which gave any clue to the facts of the conspiracy and by the express order of catherine no further inquiries were made though the rumour was circulated that it was she herself who had instigated the plot so as to make the death of ivan appear an accident scarcely a year later the more serious revolt of the cossack emilion Pagochev broke out and swept over russia calling himself peter the third on the pretence that the deposed emperor had escaped from prison before his murder Pagochev won all the disorderly malcontents of the empire to his cause outlaws peasants and deserting soldiers flocking in huge numbers to his banner it was not only a conspiracy against catherine it was a revolution against the state a rising of the old russia eastern barbaric uncivilized that cowed under the reforming rule of western laws slept but never died finally however after a prolonged struggle the cossack leader was defeated captured brought to moscow and executed his followers dispersing and flying before the avenging justice his cause lost trampled on and soon forgotten and meanwhile catherine was growing older the girl in the soldier's dress riding at the head of her troops was gone in her place was the empress who worked sometimes fifteen hours a day in the governing and reforming of the empire of peter the great whose picture she had painted on her snuff-box to remind her that she must carry on his unfinished work and orloff was still her favourite though at last his indolence and lack of intelligence were beginning to tire her that ardent imperious spirit of hers needing a greater depth chafing a little wearying even of the man's superb beauty that seemed only an empty husk but when in seventeen seventy one the plague broke out in moscow nearly devastating the whole city and grigory shaking himself from his lethargy went off and by almost superhuman courage and energy enforced quarantine and put down the disorders and massacres he was again for a short transient moment the hero who had won a throne and when the epidemic quelled he returned to petersburg catherine welcomed him with outstretched arms and tear-wet eyes erecting a triumphal arch in his honour at sarsko 
apparently falling once more under the sway of his influence that had seemed for a moment to be on the wane but grigory soon made the fatal mistake of thinking himself indispensable and too securely established to be forgotten so a few months after his return from moscow he left petersburg again to act as ambassador in the negotiations with the turks who had just been defeated by aromantsov and scarcely had he gone when catherine malicious laughter in her eyes replaced him by vasilchikov a young officer in the guards who had attracted her attention and who now took up his residence in the superb apartments of the favourite adjoining the winter palace warned of what had happened grigory hurried back across the vast immensity of russia only to find that the way to the capital was barred and that on pretence of quarantine he was kept practically a prisoner in his estates at guchina an exchange of letters that in turn threatened and implored commanded and entreated followed between the cast-off favourite and the empress till finally one evening disobeying all injunctions grigory made his appearance at court walking unannounced into one of the rooms of the winter palace in the midst of a reception one can imagine the little murmur of consternation that ran round the circle of courtiers had he come with catherine's permission surely not had he come then to create a scene what was going to happen everybody knew the big man's passionate temper the coarseness and brutality of which he was capable and in nervous silence men and women made way for him till at last he stood opposite the empress who was already seated at a card-table they looked at each other a moment in silence the woman in the rich court dress whose figure had become corpulent and heavy but whose beautiful eyes were still magnetic imperious and dazzling the man enormous and superb in spite of the prodigal life that was writing its tell-tale lines on his handsome face a moment's silence and who knows the thoughts that were in both their minds memories of the past of their first meeting of the first time he had held her in his arms an unhappy and neglected wife a woman whose life had been in danger whom he had helped to save by his high-handed courage and daring then the tension snapped with a little laugh grigory sat down facing the empress and carelessly as if he had but just interrupted his game took up the cards while the buzz of subdued conversation his coming had so abruptly hushed into silence once more filled the big gold-painted room vasilchikov was however only a passing light like korsikov wimonov or zievudovskia who capturing catherine's wandering fancy either by their beauty their strength or their wit scandalized the courts of europe and cost such vast expense to the treasury of russia he was to be supplanted and succeeded very quickly by the man who though officially only favourite of the empress for a comparatively short time was by the overwhelming strength of his influence and his personality practically to govern russia for seventeen years that summer morning when catherine rode from petersburg to peterhof to win a crown there had been among the soldiers who followed her an unknown and insignificant lieutenant called potemkin the legend that it was he who gave her the badge of the regiment or the plume that had been forgotten and looking up into her radiant face laid his wild untamed heart at her feet has been doubted by many historians but it is certain that he was there among the rabble of soldiers who cheering and singing followed her along the dusty road and it seems probable too that it was then that she inspired him with the strange uncouth devotion which he never quite forgot fourteen years later one of his eyes having been knocked out in a quarrel with alexis orloff hideous enormously tall with a wriggling walk knees that knocked together and extravagant gestures he came into her life again and by the sheer force of an extraordinary individuality won the possession of almost complete power not only over catherine but over the empire he was made a member of the council and minister of war and controlled even the foreign policy his voice was listened to in everything and for two years catherine seemed completely subjugated by him like orloff he aspired to win her hand in marriage but his ruse of acted repentance failed to trick a woman who was too consummate an actress herself not to see through the pretense of others and shortly after zievudovskia took his place as favourite but potemkin was not the man easily to give up everything he had won he was still member of the council still minister of war still the man who could master the will of the empress even when he was no longer her lover 
she could replace him in her affections with a younger and handsomer man but she could not replace the giant who was so unlike anybody else the cyclops with his one eye who alone it seemed thoroughly understood her whose ready wit amused her whose very queerness subjugated her and woman all through as well as empress she was now in need of devotion bitterly hurt and wounded in her pride for grigory orloff whose one great supreme passion she had believed herself to be had had the temerity to fall in love with his cousin mademoiselle Zienovive. it is true that he had been faithless over and over again but it had always been just a passing whim never a real love and though she herself had cast him off and replaced him she felt herself almost insulted to think that the man she had believed her slave should be wanting to place the devotion that had been hers at the feet of a mere girl one of the youngest and prettiest of her maids of honour at first bitterly opposing and forbidding the marriage she ended at last by consenting and veering around completely overwhelmed the newly married pair with gifts of priceless value the union was an ideally happy one grigory had turned into a model husband his young wife worshipped the ground he walked on but their ecstasy was alas to be all too brief the man whose wealth was almost fabulous whose strength had always been unbeaten whose power had been incredible could do nothing to save the girl he loved from the encroaches of her fatal disease flying from the climate of petersburg travelling in desperate search of new doctors and new cures the princess orloff faded from day to day and died at last in lausanne leaving grigory a broken and desperate man he returned to russia almost at once but gradually his reason gave way completely and he would sit raving and muttering his big hands plucking at his hair whispering to himself the names of his wife of catherine of peter whose accusing ghost seemed to follow him in the darkness and despair of his torment six months later catherine wrote to grimm announcing the death of the man whose strong hand had helped her up the steps of a throne in her letter she declared that she suffered terribly but it seemed as if her unconquerable gaiety soon overcame her sorrow and she had too to console her a lover who some writers declare was the greatest passion of her life indeed for a little over four years Elenskoy received from her a worshipping love that would have been almost grotesque had it not been somewhat pathetic for catherine was then fifty-five and Elenskoy almost twenty-six he was also in no way remarkable for anything but his good looks and ardent passionate nature gentle and submissive adaptable fond of study and ready to be taught he had caressing ways and a delicate indolence that hid a fire few suspected when in seventeen eighty four he died from a malignant fever and affection of the throat catherine who had nursed him devotedly gave way to poignant and heartbroken grief shutting herself up at sarskoe and refusing to see any one the palace she had made so beautiful was empty and gloomy all during those summer months the pavilion in the park with the skilfully constructed table that could be raised or lowered through the floor so as to make the presence of servants unnecessary was silent and unused dust and cobwebs gathering on the walls the chinese gardens echoed to no sounds of laughter and gaiety no music was heard in the ballroom no dancing feet glided over the polished floor only alone in her room a woman whose beauty was just a memory sat and mourned so far away now the child who had played on the square at stettin and been known to the stolid citizens as figchen this woman ravaged by her passions weeping for a love that she knew was irreplaceable drawing her curtains against the light of day refusing to see her son or his wife letting the affairs of state lie idle bore no resemblance either to the girl with the transparent complexion the big starry eyes and one intense unchildlike desire to be empress of russia the ardent imperial temperament that denied itself nothing that superabundant vitality and joy of life that inextinguishable gaiety and flow of spirits who can with all that attempt to explain accuse or utterly condemn her to tempt or be tempted she says in her memoirs are things very nearly allied no sooner is feeling excited than we have gone already greatly further than we are aware of and i have yet to learn how it is possible to prevent the arousing of interest and curiosity flight perhaps is the only remedy 
but there are circumstances at a court in which flight becomes impossible and if you do not fly there is nothing it seems to me so difficult to escape from as that which is essentially agreeable certainly it does not seem as if she ever tried to escape from anything that might be agreeable all the gifts life had to offer she grasped at with both hands gathered every flower that grew along her path opened every door remembering her vanity her boundless ambition her occasional callous cruelty her utter immorality one might be tempted to call her dissolute and corrupt entirely unworthy of any sympathy but against all this one must place the magnificent greatness of her work her marvellous system of government her boundless energy her unfailing kindness to her servants and all around her her love of children and of animals the pictures one has of her playing with her grandsons at sarsko carrying out the forfeits in the games at the hermitage by sitting on the floor hastily putting out the fire she was lighting early one morning and addressing humble apologies to the little sweep she had caught cleaning the chimney or feeding the birds outside her window at the winter palace every day at the same hour all of them hardly accord with the terrible picture of a heartless tyrant a cleopatra or a semiramis but the catherine who wept in her darkened room at sarsko was no longer the autocrat or the empress but just a woman who mourned with bitter tears the lost love of a fast-vanishing youth and it was not till potemkin returned from the crimea in the autumn that she was able to shake off her enveloping melancholy and take up her abode once more in the capital even then the manner of her return showed how far from balanced and normal she was for leaving sarsko at a moment's notice she came to petersburg late one evening found both the winter palace and the hermitage locked up with no one ready to receive her forced an entry went quietly to bed and waking at midnight ordered the salvo of guns that usually welcomed her arrival to be fired immediately thereby startling peaceful citizens from their sleep soon however her usual optimism and merriment conquered her melancholy and yormlov and muimonov skilfully introduced by potemkin each in turn took the place of the man she had mourned with such heartbroken abandonment and regret potemkin had now conquered the crimea or tauride peninsula and in january seventeen eighty seven catherine and her court set out on that famous journey whose boundless expense passes all imagination for the distance between petersburg and kiev there were besides the immense carriage of the empress which drawn by thirty horses contained a card-room and library as well as a sleeping compartment fourteen other big carriages and a hundred and twenty-four sledges wooden palaces with spacious bedrooms and covered galleries where huge banquets were laid out had been put up all along the route and the plates of gold or silver the china and the linen having been used once were left behind for the use of the servants at kiev the empress and her suite embarked on eighty raft-like ships with silken hangings and cabins furnished with incredible luxury while all along the shores of the dnieper potemkin that master of stagecraft had peopled the desolate country with picturesque villages flocks of grazing cattle singing peasants and flower-wreathed girls at konyov poniatowski spending a fortune for the sake of three-quarters of an hour with his former mistress came to meet catherine and was received on board her ship it was nearly thirty years since they had parted and one wonders whether he found in the stout imperial lady any resemblance to the girl who dressed as a man had stolen out of a sleeping palace to come and meet him and did she see in the broken despairing man with the sad eyes still anything of the lover of those early days who had so quickly consoled her for so oltikoff's many infidelities she had given him her love and proved faithless to him all too soon she had given him a crown and was taking away his kingdom and yet when they met on that fairy-tale ship perhaps the ambitions and sadness and shadows of the passing years fell away and they were no longer empress and king but just a man and woman who had loved each other and who had many memories both glad and sad to talk over during those few short moments before they parted at kherson catherine was met by the emperor joseph ii of austria and the rest of the journey was continued by land with always potemkin the incomparable stage manager to provide one stupendous surprise after another a palace built for one night's magnificent entertainment fireworks on a scale never seen before magic gardens growing in the desert a village springing up in a few hours 
very soon was the brilliant star of this strangest of all favourites to go down squinting with his one eye his great knees knocking together his face sallow and twisted and ugly one wonders what magic it was that held catherine all the time under the spell of his influence her imperious will overshadowed and subjected by the mastery of his weird personality a curious mixture he was all through of tempestuous rages and boisterous good-humour of sudden reckless bravery and errant cowardice appearing now dressed in cloth of gold studded with diamonds or else receiving ambassadors wrapped in a loose not over-clean dressing-gown his bare feet thrust into carpet-slippers and it was not only catherine who fell under his charm for his gallantries were proverbial at a court where morals were anything but unimpeachable in the crimea he lived like a sultan surrounded by a harem and while the generals attacked the turkish positions the commander-in-chief presided over gorgeous banquets with beautiful women to keep him company the lovely princess dolgorki his niece the countess braniki the famous countess potoki another niece married to a prince galitsin praskovia darivska married to another potemkin they all at one time or another had the great man at their feet were overwhelmed with costly presents feasted worshipped in the lavish extravagant way that only he knew how to carry out soon after his victory in the second turkish war he returned to petersburg as a national hero drawn there too by the news that the favourite moimonov was about to be replaced by pleton zubov the last lover catherine was to have and one who was a serious menace to potemkin the marvellous fete he gave her in the tauride palace was his final farewell to her and it seems almost as if something must have warned her that she was losing him for ever for when at the end he escorted her to the door and bent his great shaggy head to kiss her hand there were tears dimming her eyes and her emotion was so great that she could hardly speak shortly after he left once more for moldavia and on his way from jassy to nikolaev died on october fifth seventeen ninety one by the roadside having steadily refused to listen to the doctor's advice and remain at jassy to cure himself catherine's grief at her former favourite's death was real and unfeigned for she knew that in him she lost a true friend a mind which great extravagant grotesque and imperious had understood her a heart which savage untamed and faithless had yet loved her she was sixty now there was no vestige left of the radiant beauty that had made so many men her slaves yet her urgent ceaseless need for adoration made her keep platon zubov in those gorgeous apartments of the palace especially put aside for the favourites and made her blind to the young man's fatuous foolish insolence to his overweening ambition and vanity had she indeed lost so much wisdom and sense of proportion that she had forgotten her years or could not see the mockery of zubov's flattery and adulation it seems hard to believe and yet the child as she called him wormed his way more and more into her favour slim and dark and young uneducated and ignorant and yet winning incredible power and influence ministers courtiers foreign diplomats sued for his favour while he amassed ever more riches and honours there seeming no limit to his grasping ambitious vanity the glory of catherine had fallen indeed europe tittered mockingly to see an old woman still play at love and allow herself to be fooled by a pretty conceited boy whilst russia muttered in secret discontent but the will of the empress was a law which nobody dared gainsay and to win her smile courtiers flattered her with praise of her favourite there had it was said always been a lucky star shining above her head to bring success to every project that she had formed but suddenly it seemed as if that star had fallen as if success was to be no more the dazzling easy victory she had grown used to for years the war with sweden had harassed russia the enemy at one time getting so near to the capital that their guns could be heard in the winter palace but gustav three had been assassinated in the middle of a masked ball and his son reigned in his stead under the regency of his uncle the duke of sudermann to marry the young king to her eldest granddaughter alexandra pavlovna had been the empress's most cherished dream as she hoped in that way to bind the two great northern countries together and to put an end to the constant petty warfare over finland and the baltic provinces 
so nearly did her project succeed that the young king gustav four was brought to petersburg by his uncle and was on the point of becoming betrothed to the grand duchess alexandra when at the last moment the question of religion intervened the negotiations to tide over the difficulty failed and the public insult of that failure was a blow from which the old empress never fully recovered her gaiety and good-humour eclipsed under fits of sullen brooding or gusts of violent rage against the boy who had dared so obstinately to hold out against her at last however she seemed to regain some of her old joyousness and the evening of november fourth was passed at the hermitage as merrily as of old with leon Narishkin, the inevitable court buffoon bringing tears of laughter to everybody's eyes the next morning catherine rose at her usual hour of five and attended to some of her correspondence gay active clear-minded and determined as ever presently excusing herself to the last secretary with whom she had been discussing her affairs she rose to retire to her garderobe a stately figure still leaning only very slightly on the long stick she always carried the secretary withdrew into the ante-room yawned perhaps once or twice and sat down to wait no sound came to disturb the warm lighted silence while outside the grey darkness of a winter's morning lay over the snow-bound town in the distance the great palace hummed with its teeming life and activity doors opened and shut voices whispered and called to each other the arms of a sentry rang in a quick salute the sword of some passing officer clattered on the floor a maid carrying a cup of coffee on a tray dropped a curtsey to a lady-in-waiting who passing down one of the long corridors filled it with the rustle of her wide silk skirts in the apartments of the demoiselle d'anour there was the sound of subdued laughter a folded note had been pushed under the door for somebody and was being read aloud to a circle of half-dressed girls a mauge carrying a basket of heavy logs of wood toiled up one of the many staircases somewhere in the basements a dog barked shrilly in the huge kitchen a big grey cat purred in front of the blazing fire after more than half an hour had passed the secretary getting alarmed at the empress's long absence called zotov her valet de chambre who in turn summoned her women and finally after calling in vain at her door and receiving no answer catherine was found stretched rigid and motionless on the floor of one of the inner rooms what a commotion then in the vast building messengers flying in all directions doctors summoned platon zuboff dishevelled and trembling called in haste women crying men looking at each other with pale dismayed faces from the first it was clear that there was no hope of any possible recovery and it meant more so infinitely more than just the death of a woman and a mistress they all loved it meant the end of a great reign the beginning of a new one and a master everybody feared laid on a mattress in the big bedroom with its silken hangings its gold mirrors its gilt chairs and soft cushions catherine lived on for thirty-seven hours in that speechless rigid agony while paul summoned in haste from gatchino went through her papers did he discover among them the document that disinherited him and did he burn it hastily with trembling hands impossible to say catherine never recovered her speech and the only paper that was made public was the order of succession signed by her in seventeen sixty seven which made paul emperor so at the age of sixty-eight in the year seventeen ninety six died catherine of russia the great empress the astute stateswoman the dreaded tyrant the philosopher the writer and the woman sending out orders to her generals interviewing foreign representatives presiding over the council corresponding with voltaire grimm and diderot buying priceless collections of pictures supervising the building of palaces the planting of gardens the founding of universities and schools laughing gaily at misfortune loving with the abandonment of a generous vital nature giving and taking with the same whole-hearted liberality dreaming great dreams of dazzling splendour and unbounded power the mighty work peter the great had begun catherine the great carried on making barbaric eastern russia into a civilized power creating a court whose brilliance rivalled that of versailles enforcing western ideas western education art and literature into everything it was catherine who introduced vaccination into russia sending for the english doctor dimsdale and being herself the first to undergo the treatment 
adding to peter's gallery of pictures at the hermitage she bought the collections of count brule and sir robert walpole the latter being worth thirty-six thousand pounds while at the same time she added sculptures priceless vases china tapestries and antique terracotta to the collection it was catherine too who founded the smolnia institute for the education of the daughters of the aristocracy and higher bourgeoisie continued on practically the same lines she had laid down the big white building with its blue domed church was later on taken by the bolsheviks for the soviet headquarters and in the wide spacious corridors the white-ceilinged rooms where young girls had confided whispered secrets to each other and laughed and sometimes perhaps cried over a fancied sorrow bearded men in dirty shirts dreamt savage dreams of blood and revenge and hate but it is at sarskoe most of all that one gets the memories of catherine the woman as well as the empress the great white palace with its bright green roof looks out on one side into a wide courtyard entered by three high iron gates on the other it rises above the gardens and the lake with the yellow marble column erected in the honour of alexis orloff on the occasion of his victory over the turks at chesme a little to the right and above the lake is the chinese garden with its wandering canals and swan pond its carved bridge of imitation coral with the quaint stone figures holding open parasols and further on the theatre built by cameron on the other side of the lake in the green shadow of the park is the white heritage the concert hall and the grotto and opening from the palace and overhanging the lake cameron's gallery where catherine walked on rainy days followed by her english greyhounds named the family of sir tom anderson petroff held too many bitter haunting memories of the past so it was at sarsko that catherine spent all her summers decorating and furnishing the palace that had been built originally by elizabeth the amber room with its primrose yellow panels the wedgwood room with its delicate plaques of blue and white the ballroom with its long mirrors the black and gold chinese room the lapis lazuli room deep blue and gold the bedroom with its columns of silver its cunningly arranged mirrors and painted ceiling the dressing-room all agate and gold everywhere the spirit of catherine is present the tapping of her cane on the polished parquet floors the rustle of her purple silk dress the sound of her gay infectious laughter the yapping of the dogs that always followed her an old lady with wonderful eyes and the proud majestic bearing that in her youth had wrung a sharp rebuke from the empress elizabeth and impatient abuse from a feeble-minded husband so she passes one in the shady walks of the park in the dim shadows of the palace rooms and one forgets listening to the echo of her long dead laughter the woman who so carelessly swept aside her husband dismembered poland conquered the crimea and spent millions on her lovers one forgets the advice given to madame la brune who had in vain craved the honour of painting her portrait and endeavoured to do it from memory take for your canvas the empire of russia the darkness of ignorance for your background the remains of poland for the drapery human blood for your colouring and for shadows six months of the reign of her son other ghosts there are besides catherine who haunt the palace and gardens of sarsko grigory orloff with his honey-coloured hair and perfect face his brother alexis with his scarred cheek potemkin the great ugly uncouth giant the countess bruce and mademoiselle protasov mentioned by byron in don juan the countess branigi and princess galitsyn nieces of Potemkin, Madame Ribas, daughter of mysterious Betskia, who by some was supposed to be Catherine's natural father, the children of Paul, who with joyous voices acclaimed the old empress as the most adorable grandmother, the faithful Pirkushna, her inseparable and devoted maid, Ilanskoy, a delicate languor veiling the voluptuous fire of his nature, Korsakov, laughingly named King of Epirus, the heavy obese figure of pino suvorov who later was to lead the russian soldiers against the french statesmen philosophers soldiers and courtiers they come and go in the big rooms in the shady avenues in the narrow twisting walk of the chinese gardens here the flutter of a silken skirt the rush of a pack of dogs figures in brilliant colours seen for a moment and gone an empty palace despoiled of its treasures 
the ghosts of dead splendour that dare no longer show their face it was at sarsko in the alexander or new palace built by catherine in seventeen ninety six that the emperor nicholas lived for the greater part of the year it was here that we came for our first audience with the empress on our arrival in russia in december nineteen ten though the only memories i seem to have retained of that day are the picture of a park fairy-like under newly fallen snow mounted cossacks riding slowly in an unending circle round the outer walls the tall thin figure of old count beckendorf superb in a glittering uniform with countless orders shimmering on his breast a big room full of flowers and a woman with a stern tragic face so different from the golden-haired princess alex of my childhood's recollections it was to tsarsko that the emperor was brought in nineteen seventeen after he had signed the abdication and it was here that he was kept for five months a prisoner before being sent on to that grimmer exile of siberia with its unutterably tragic ending but there are too other gayer memories of tsarsko memories of dances and picnics and of a golden summer spent in a quaint old wooden house we rented for three months it stood on the road leading up from the station and at the back it had an open veranda and a green garden where birds sang all day long and the scent of flowering lime trees sweetened the air the great excitement of the day was when the six o'clock train from petersburg arrived and the icefuchiks little one-horse cabs filled with returning husbands fathers and brothers raced each other up the road at a hard gallop for the rest there was not really much to do long lazy mornings spent in the park evening drives through the woods of pavlosk dinners and occasional dances at the palace of the grand duchess vladimir or at one of the many villas in the surroundings now and then perhaps an excursion in a motor to krasno strelna or petrohoff on the occasion of her name-day the grand duchess vladimir gave a monster picnic at a spot about twenty miles from sarsko whose name i have now forgotten i remember only that we drove out there in an endless line of motors had an enormous feast laid out on the grass with servants in court liveries to wait on us a gay-coloured awning stretched over our head and a band to play to us afterwards on a specially constructed wooden platform we danced while the inhabitants of a nearby village coming down through the woods watched us with wide-opened wondering eyes so the memories of sarsko are sad with the unutterable sadness of broken hopes and gay with laughter and music light and darkness tragedy and gladness always in russia that land of mysteries so near together End of chapter six